Second Chronicles chapter four, last, last week we looked at, again, the, the fact Solomon has been tasked, King Solomon was given the task of building the temple for the Lord from his father David. Um, that David, as we've talked about, was the one who desired to do this work, but God, God said, no, your son Solomon will. David got all of, the, all of the materials together, everything all set for it, and Solomon built the temple. We looked at that last time. Kind of got, I guess, partway through the construction through chapter three. Chapter four is where we pick up now. And it, we're going to see in these first several verses, it says, then he made, that is not Solomon, that is a man named Huram that, uh, that we'll talk about in a moment. But when it says he made, he made, he made, he made, that's not Solomon, as we will discuss. Obviously, he's the one overseeing this entire project. But it says, then he made a bronze altar, 20 cubits in length and 20 cubits in width and 10 cubits in height. The bronze altar, if we could, yeah, we got the picture up there. Um, we'll leave that up as we kind of go through. It just kind of gives a little bit of an idea as far as the size of some things. The bronze altar is the one on, uh, in the foreground there on the right, as you can see. The cubit is roughly 18 inches, so we're talking it's 35 foot square. 35 feet square and then five feet in height as, as it's, um, or 15 feet in height, I'm sorry. So 35 foot square, 50 feet, a massive altar, bronze altar. That is where the sacrifices are, will be made. And interesting, again, is we're going to see, if you look at the temple there, all the way in the back, we'll get to it in a moment, but you can see the, the Ark of the Covenant there, the, 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 the presence of the Lord where that, that is represented there, the altar being up front, the altar where the sacrifice is made, the, 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 the atonement for the sin is, is there. And we know from Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews tells us that the blood of, of bulls and goats, the, 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 the lambs that are offered, that blood cannot take away sin. It never could. It always pointed to Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 13, it says that our altar, and it points to the, the, the different altar, our altar being the cross, where Jesus shed his perfect blood on our behalf, where that sacrifice made once for all, for the sins of all, for your sins, for mine, the altar of the cross. All of this pointing to Jesus, and we'll see as we continue to move through this, but that, that altar that is there, that is where the sacrifices will be made going forward. Verse two, also he made a cast metal sea, 10 cubits from brim to brim, circular in form and its height was five cubits and its circumference 30 cubits. So if you can imagine 15 feet across, that's what's up there in the front lower corner there on the left. And it's now the figures like oxen were under it all around 10 cubits entirely circling and circling the sea. The oxen were in two rows cast in one piece. It stood on 12 oxen, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south and three facing east. And the sea was set on top of them, and all their hindquarters turned inwards. It was a hand breadth thick, and its brim was made like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom, and it could hold 3,000 baths. Now, there's a lot of different ideas as far as to what a bath would hold, but there's 3,000 of them, a lot of water. And you can imagine the size of this thing, filled with water there, 
We're going to see in a moment what it is for. He also made ten basins in which to wash, and he set five on the right side and five on the left side to rinse things for the burnt offering. So this is where the, 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 after the animals were sacrificed, they would be washed in those, you see the kind of the five carts that are on the side there and on the other side, those are the basins for that. But it says, but the sea was for the priests to wash in. So the water was there for them to, to ritually wash themselves, to, to cleanse themselves. Then he made the ten golden lampstands in the way prescribed for them, and he set them in the temple, five on the right side and five on the left side. The tabernacle that was the temporary structure in the wilderness only had one lampstand. Now in the permanent structure, which is much bigger, obviously, um, there's five on each side. The lampstands as prescribed. He also made 10 tables and placed them in the temple, five on the right side and five on the left, and he made 100 golden bowls. Then he made the court of the priests and the court of the doors for, uh, um, and the great court and doors for the court and overlaid their doors with bronze. He set the sea on the right side of the house towards the southeast. Huram, and this is again a man we were introduced to back in chapter two, um, the king of Tyre had the same name, Huram, if you'll remember last week. Solomon went to him and said, we don't have people that are skilled like you do in this. Could you have someone come and, and teach us? And, and reaching out to them, and he did, and the man's name was Huram Abai, a skilled man. He, he's the one who is spoken of here, the man who continued to make these things. He made the pails, the shovels, the bowls. So Huram finished during the work, doing the work which was performed for King Solomon in the house of God. The two pillars, the bowls and the two capitals on top of the pillars, and the two networks to cover the two bowls of the capitals which were on top of the pillars. Now these massive structures, the pillars that are on the side, and again, the bowls we're going to see here again. He speaks of the, the, um, the altar, all of these things. But notice here, I like that, and the 400 pomegranates. Now, I don't know what those looked like, but you know, pomegranates, the detail involved with a pomegranate, and he made 400 of those. And again, I just, that, probably we just glance over that, no big deal. That's a big deal to Horam. <laughs> 400 pomegranates. And again, the, the detail that goes into this. For the two networks, the two, two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowls of the capitals which were on the pillars. He also made the stands and made the basins on the stands and the one sea with the 12 oxen under it, the pails, the shovels, the forks, all the utensils Huram Abai made of polished bronze for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. On the plain of the Jordan, the king cast them in the clay ground between Sukkoth and Zerida. Now again, it says the king cast them. Obviously Solomon not doing this, Solomon overseeing this. This man Huram, this is down by the Dead Sea where the, the, this clay, and there's actually been some archaeological discoveries that maybe point to some possibilities for this down there. But all of these things, and note, we mentioned earlier, cast in one piece, that big that big thing with the oxen, the, the big giant bull, cast in one piece. And then transported all the way from, from there up to, up to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Thus Solomon made all the utensils in great quantities, for the weight of the bronze could not be found out. So much that is there and so much put together could not be found out. Solomon... 
also made all the things that were in the house of God, even the golden altar, the tables with the bread of the presence on them, the lampstands with their lamps of pure gold to burn in front of the inner sanctuary in the way prescribed. Now, inside the, the, the holy place, the holy of holies is the one that's behind the curtain where the seraphim are that we mentioned last week and the Ark of the Covenant. One man, the high priest, goes in there one time a year but the other priests go in. Their duties are within the first court there um, that you see, where the lampstands are, the table of showbread is, and the altar. There's a smaller altar there. That altar is for burning incense. Now, the beautiful part of that is, again, how we, the picture of that, and, and we see that the, the lampstands providing, that is the only light source inside the temple there. And Jesus, the light of the world, the showbread, Jesus, I am the bread of life. All of these things, a beautiful picture again of, of Jesus everywhere we look in all of this. Again, the sacrifice for us. I do think it's, it's really cool that the fact that the altar of incense is the closest thing in the temple to where God is. And incense is a representation of the prayers of the saints. It speaks of that in Revelation, the prayer of the saints the incense. Guys, we're never closer to the Lord than when we're in prayer. When we are before him humbly lifting our prayer and our, our, even again, in our worship in that, again, that is that, lifting that up to him. Never, never closer to him than in those moments. The flower, verse 21, the flowers, the lamps, the tongs of gold, of purest gold, and the snuffers, the bowls, the spoons, the fire pans of pure gold. And the entrance of the house, its inner doors, for the holy of holies and the doors of the house, that is the nave of gold. Everything, just gold. Can you imagine how beautiful that was? on Everything gold and the lampstands, the candles flickering, providing that light that is in there. Just the beauty of that place. Chapter 5. Thus all the work that Solomon performed for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated, even the silver and the gold and all the utensils, and put them in the treasuries of the house of God. That first, that first statement there, thus all the work that Solomon performed for the house of the Lord was finished. Reading that, it's, it's brought me back, if you'll remember, a few weeks ago when David was speaking to Solomon when we were looking at this back in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. David's speaking to, again, remember, young man Solomon. He's probably 17, 18 years old when David is saying these words to him, knowing that his time of, going, of passing is soon. Solomon will be king soon. Dave, then David said to his son Solomon, be strong and courageous and act. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. I wonder how many times Solomon reflected back on that statement. None of this is recorded for us. That, that you know, we, we, we get kind of a synopsis, you know, a quick overview of the end product and the things that were done. But this took years to do. And 
we look at this as, you know, here's just a rendition, but imagine the magnitude of this sitting up on top of, of Mount Moriah. And Solomon, as an 18-year-old man, being tasked with building that. Do you think ever it crossed his mind saying, man, that's kind of a too big a job for me? When certain things maybe weren't going on schedule or different things that you know, didn't seem to be going as, as he thought they should be going. I wonder if doubts ever came in. I think so. Just because, again, Solomon, though the wisest man that ever lived, still a man. Though a, though a man handed this promise by his, by his father, still a young man, still going through an impossible task, really, for a young man like that. But to rely on the fact that his, his father said, you just trust God. Just trust him. Be strong, be courageous, Trust him, and he will see it through to the end. The promises of God, the encouraging word that comes from his father. And again, as I'm sitting here thinking, thus all the work that Solomon performed for the house of the Lord was finished. And I wonder if he's standing there looking at it and thinking back. Yeah, God was with me the whole time. Here it is. It's done. Sometimes you're going to be going through some things in your life. You're going to be facing something at the beginning of it, and you'll, you'll feel a word from the Lord coming to you or somebody speaking a word into your life, and it's going to be like, there's no way. Unless God, but God, unless God shows up and does this. There's, but then when you're on the other side of it, and you look back and say, man, God was faithful. The whole way, here, here I am, just like he said. He never left me, just like he promised there were times when I had my doubts, when things didn't seem to be going the way I thought they would be going or they should be, but here I am, and he never left me, just like he promised. Verse two, then Solomon assembled to, assembled to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' households, the sons of Israel, to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. So now that it's done and now that it's ready, and we see in 1 Kings that this whole thing we're going to look at over, over this course of the next chapter and two chapters happened about 11 months after it was completed. The work was completed. Now this is a special day set now. No doubt a lot of planning now to, to, for this special time that's coming in. But all of the leaders now have been called to Jerusalem from throughout Israel for the moment to bring the ark, which David brought to Jerusalem years before, but it's been in a tent, is now going to be brought into and placed in the Holy of Holies. All the men of Israel assembled themselves to the king at the feast, which is in the seventh month. Then all of the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. They brought the ark and the tent of meeting, and the holy utensils which were in the tent, the Levitical priests, brought them up. Just a little side note, how many of you think they brought it the right way? <laughs> they carried it the way they're supposed to carry it. They didn't put it on a cart, you know. They, they, that lesson's been learned and passed on. If you've been with us, you'll know what we're talking about. They, we've... We, that, 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 that mistake was made once. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests 
brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the house to the Holy of Holies under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim made a covering over the ark and its poles. The poles were so long that the ends of the poles of the ark could be seen in the front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen outside, and they are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel where they came out of Egypt. Now, that's interesting because... We know that at one time there were a couple other articles inside the ark. Anybody just a quick quiz what they were? The golden bowl of manna and Aaron's rod that budded. What happened to them? We don't have any idea. We just know that at this point, all that is in here are the two tablets which Moses put there. And again, if God wanted us to know, if there was a reason, if there was something behind it, he would have let us know. No need to speculate, no need to run down rabbit trails, but here, for, for whatever reason, that, that this is all that is left here in the Ark of the Covenant. When the priests came forth from the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without regard to divisions, and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and their sons and kinsmen, clothed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, standing east of the, of the altar, and with them 120 priests blowing trumpets in unison, when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and to glorify the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice, accompanied by the trumpets and the cymbals and instruments of music, and when they praised the Lord, saying, He indeed is good, for his loving kindness is, is everlasting, then the, how, the, house, the, the, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Can you just imagine this scene? First of all, the, the worship and the heart of the worshipers. I, 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 have that, I have that underlined, a couple of these things in here. They sanctified themselves. They, the sanctification is that if you're sanctifying yourself, you're setting yourself apart, consecrating yourself, setting yourself apart for the singular purpose of God's purposes, and, and here to worship him, to give him praise and glory in this time. And notice, without regard to divisions, there was no hierarchy here. We're all equal, we're all even here as we stand before the Lord together. There's no divisions, there's no, well, this is my time and this is your time. Well, this is my time to be doing this. And that, no, we're all equal here. We're all standing shoulder to shoulder in unison with one voice to praise and to glorify God. Their hearts united in this. Again, the excitement, the trumpets. I just, I can't, I, I get God bumps just thinking about it. The, just this, this moment that is going on and God responds to the heart of the worshipers as they are there in unison to worship him. And it says that the, the, house, the house of the Lord was filled with the cloud, the, the Shekinah glory, the, the, that, that cloud that, that led them in the wilderness, that, that cloud that, that would appear over the tent of meeting, that here it is and it fills the house and it, gets, it says, so the priests could not 
stand to minister before. They fell down before this, the, the Lord and his glory as he came and filled the temple. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of that, and again, the, the moments that we see that where God shows himself in that, in that regard and the response. You know, there's only one time in the entire New Testament where it's recorded, it gives us a physical description of Jesus. It's in Revelation chapter one. When John hears a voice and he turns around and he sees Jesus in his glory and it says he fell at his feet like a dead man. And Jesus responds, do not be afraid, don't fear. But get up, I have work for you to do. <laughs> But guys, that, that's our, as, we, as we worship and God reveals himself to us, again, our heart is to be that, that in that place. And it's a sweet place to be on our face before the Lord. I think it was Charles Spurgeon says, we are never more alive than we are as, when we are as dead men at his feet. When we get to that point again, as we just were talking about earlier, that total surrender, submission to him, Never more alive. The glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Then, chapter 6, Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have built you a lofty house and a place for your dwelling forever. Then the king faced about and blessed all of the assembly of Israel while all of the assembly of Israel was standing. They've gotten up now. (laughs) They can't stand, but now now, now they're back standing. He said, blessed be the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David and has fulfilled it with his hands. Guys, when does God's word come true? When he speaks it or when we see it? I'll just tell you, it's when he speaks it. His word is true. He is faithful. We can trust everything that he says. I love that. Who spoke with his mouth to my father David and has fulfilled it with his hand. God's, God is faithful. He is always faithful. He can't be unfaithful. So when we, when we are in his word, when we're reading his word, when, we, when, we, when God speaks to us through his word, guys, we can own that. We can take that. One of my favorite sayings from a, a, a friend of mine, John Randall, the pastor, he came and did our, our men's retreat a couple of years ago. It just sticks with me. He said, God's past faithfulness demands my present trust. His past faithfulness demands my present trust. His word, when he says it, is as, is as, is, is as real. It's, it's just as real then as then when we realize it. But here now Solomon is saying he has fulfilled it again. It's, it, it, it's completely fulfilled in our day. Verse five, since the day, this is God saying this, since the day that I brought my people from the land of Egypt, I did not choose a city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there, nor did I choose any man for a leader over my people Israel, but I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there, and I've chosen David to be over my people Israel. 
Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. The Lord's saying to David again in that comfort, we've talked of this several times going through this, David wanted to build it. That was his passion, his desire. And his heart was in the right place. It was never about David. It was never about, man, I want to do this so that they call it David's temple instead of Solomon's temple. You know, it was never about David. That's why God, the Lord said it was well in your heart. It was good in your heart. And that's not why God didn't allow him. He said it's because there's, there's blood on your hands. Not, and again, you, did what, you were a man of war. Solomon, your son of man of peace, will build it. It wasn't out of any disobedience. It wasn't because of a bad heart. It's just because that's the way God said it. And David's response, okay, I'm good with that. I'll do whatever I can to make my son's job easier. Nevertheless, verse nine, you shall not build the house, but your son who will be born to you, he shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his word which he spoke. Again, when he spoke it, it was, it was, it was, it was real, it was, it was true, but now we see the fulfillment of it. For I have risen in the place of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised and have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have set the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord which he made with the sons of Israel. Now verse 12, it says, Then he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all of the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Now Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court, and he stood on it. So somewhere between, like in front of the front doors there, next to the, the, the altar that is there, he built some type of structure that he is now standing on, a bronze structure, and it says now that he kneels in the presence of all of the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. He said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who has kept with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Now therefore, O Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel if only your sons take heed to their way to walk in my laws as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, let your word be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant David. Verse 18, again, recalling the promises that he made. He's praying before the Lord. And it's interesting here, we, just, we see this glimpse into Solomon. Again, the wisest man that ever lived. But now listen to the, the question that comes from his heart. But will God indeed dwell with mankind on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. Again, this, this yearning, to, that we've built this house, we've followed the plans, but how can you, God of all creation, God of heaven and earth, the heavens can't contain you. 
Can you truly dwell here? Can you dwell with mankind on the earth? I wonder if he understood even the closely the, the depth of that question. Because the answer is yes, and he would. Emmanuel, God with us. That he would send his only begotten son to be born a baby and to live a life among us. Indeed, he will dwell with mankind on the earth. Verse 19, yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication. O Lord my God, listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you. We're going to hear many times as we go through this that there's going to be a phrase that's repeated. It starts with listen, (laughs) and he's going to, from heaven, answer from heaven, not from in the Holy of Holies from heaven. Again, he understands God's not contained in that little room back there. Listen, and, and from heaven, hear from heaven. Now, this is not a command. This is a plea. Listen. Listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you, that your eye may be opened toward this house day and night, toward this place of which you have said you would put your name there, and listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. Listen to the supplication of your heart and your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place. Hear from your dwelling place, from heaven. Hear and forgive. This, this phrase again, toward this place, is used a few times. It's interesting when you go to Israel, if you've ever been there, you will see that, that they take that literally, the, even the direction with which they pray. They go to the Western Wall, you'll see still today, and they'll be praying toward this place, up on top of that, that the, the Western Wall is the Western Wall to the Temple Mount, where the, that's as close as they can get to where the temple once stood. And so they go there and they face that direction and they pray. By the way, just a little free information for you. This last trip that we were there, our guide shared something with me that I, I, I didn't realize before, I didn't know before. But there's another term for the Western Wall that's used, and it's the Wailing Wall. And he said to Jews who understand what's behind that meaning, that is very offensive. The Wailing Wall, because that originated with the Muslims as they would watch the Jews pray at the Western Wall. And it says, listen to them wailing. And that's how it started. So, call it the Western Wall going forward. But um, they take that literally to pray toward this place. And it's interesting that when we look in, in, in Daniel, we see Daniel it tells us that at the time of the, the sacrifices, he would pray. Even when they, the command went out that he wasn't supposed to, if you're going to get thrown into lions, the command went out. He still did 70 years after sacrifices were no longer offered because it had been destroyed. He still prayed towards where the, the temple was in the direction that it was. 
because of the promises that are, that are made. We're going to see that, that God answers this here. But this is the prayer, to play, play, pray toward this place. He says, hear and forgive. Toward this place, not toward the Holy of Holies, but toward this place, toward where the altar is. Toward the altar, to pray there, because again, that is the place where, where the atonement, where the sacrifices are made. Pray toward this place here and forgive. Verse 22, if a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath, for he comes and takes an oath before the, your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, punishing the wicked and bringing his way to it on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Hear from heaven as the, the prayer is lifted up when a sin is committed. Notice again here, just real quickly, just a side note, who is the one who, who punishes and justifies? God does. We trust God with that. God, you take care of this. You're the one who will deal righteously in all situations. Don't, we don't take matters into our own hands. God is our defender. God is the righteous judge. Bring it to the Lord. Let him leave it in God's hands. Verse 24, if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and they return to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication before you in this house, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you have given them to their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and, then there, and there is no rain because they have sinned against you and they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and your people Israel. Indeed, teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land which you have given to your people for an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is blight or mildew, if there is locust or grasshopper, if their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, Whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own pain and spreading his hands toward this house, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each according to all his ways whose heart you, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men, that they may fear you to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you have given to our fathers. Notice several times here he speaks of when that time comes, when you deal with your people because of their sin, because the, 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 a hand of discipline that you bring in order to correct, when they come to that point of repentance and they turn and they pray, Solomon's, Solomon's plea is hear their prayer, hear from heaven as they pray toward this place, hear their, hear their prayer and forgive. When, when God deals with us in our life, when we, when, when we sin and he deals with us, again, the same thing, when we pray toward that place, the altar, when we go to the cross, and again, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, First John tells us. 
that, can, that over and over here, and we're gonna see in God's, in God's response to this that God does that. God's hand of correction does come so that we will learn, so that we don't continue to go down that path and, and f- f- fall further and further away. It is always designed, again, to bring us back. Hebrews 12. Anyway, also concerning the foreigner who is not from your people Israel, when he comes from a far country for your great name's sake and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray toward this house, then hear from heaven, from your mighty dwelling place, and do according to all that which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel." that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. When your people go out to battle against their enemies by whatever way, you shall send them. So here they're, they're following your lead as you are guiding and leading, as you send them, and they pray towards this city which you have chosen and the house which I have built for your name. Then hear from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. Notice again verse 36, when they sin against you, notice for there is no man who does not sin and you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take away them captive to a land far off. If they take thought in that land where they are taken captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity saying we have sinned, we have committed iniquity and we have acted wickedly, If they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity where they have been taken captive and pray toward their land which you have given to their fathers and the city which you have chosen and toward the house which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven, from your dwelling place, their prayer and supplication, maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. In verse 37 and 38 there, we see the true heart of repentance. We have sinned. Confession means coming to that point of agreeing with God what sin is. We have sinned, we have committed iniquity, and we have acted wickedly. Guys, that's what sin is. It's not a boo-boo, it's not a mistake, it's not a all shucks. No, we have acted wickedly. And as David, in his confession, in his prayer, God, against you and you only have I sinned. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the king of the universe, I have sinned against you. And that, that, that the heart of repentance needs to come to that point where it's, we understand how grievous it is that we have sinned against a holy and righteous God. But it doesn't just stop there. Notice in verse 38, if they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul. Returning. That repentance is to turn from the sin, to turn back to God. And it's not a casual glance over the shoulder. With all the heart, with all the soul. When we do that, guys, we come with that heart. Again, God is eager and willing to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness to restore that which can be broken. Now, O my God, verse 40, I pray, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord, be clothed with salvation and let your godly ones rejoice in what is good. 
O Lord God, do not turn away your face from, from your anointed. Remember your loving kindness to your servant David. Calling out to, to God again to remember his promises, to remember his faithfulness. Now, does God need to be reminded? No. We're the ones, as we do that, to, to remind God, it's to remind us that this is what his word says, and he is faithful. When we are praying, and we're praying through scripture, again, it is not to remind God that this is his word, it's to remind us that this is his word. And as I said before, his word is true when it's spoken, not when we realize it. Not when it comes to fruition in our life, it's true when he spoke it. And that continual reminder in our prayer to remind us and to encourage our hearts. I wanted to get through chapter seven, but we're not, we don't have time to do that. Um, we'll look at this, this again next week. Um, should the Lord tarry. But look at verse 13, because um, I referenced this already. So let's touch on this real quickly, and we'll hit it again next week. Verse 13 of chapter 7, God is now responding to Solomon's prayer. He's, he, he, Solomon, in verse 11, it says that Solomon had finished this. The Lord appeared to him, verse 12, and spe the Lord now speaking, it's, God says, if I shut up heaven so that there is no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. God says, if I am doing this, and again, Hebrews 12 tells us that God's hand comes to correct those whom he loves. He chastens those whom he loves. Again, so that we don't continue in, in disobedience, in down the path that will hurt us. And the author of Hebrews compares it to a godly parent who disciplines his children. And we discipline our children. Godly parents discipline their children for their children's sake so that they are corrected and they, and they learn. And that's God's hand too, to correct us, to bring us back. But notice again, it says, if I do this, verse 14, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. That's a promise from God. A promise from God to the children of Israel here. It says, Solomon, what you have prayed, I promise that if they do, if they, if they truly repent, I will hear and I will heal their land. Now, Again, the promise here is to Solomon, speaking to the children of Israel, but again, I, I to we totally can own this and embrace this as a, as, a, as a promise to us as believers that God will hear us if we will humble ourselves. Now, we look at the problems and everything that's going on in our country, and we can, we can blame it on the fact that however many years ago it was that they took prayer out of school and that's why our schools and all of the other stuff are in the problem that it is and yada, da da da. But the word of God says the problem isn't because the prayer is out of school. The problem is because the prayer is out of church. Because the prayer is out of us as believers that, that, that we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Humbling ourselves. Confessing our sin my people who are called by my name, 
He doesn't say that the, the lawmakers and the politicians, if they would humble themselves, no, my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. It's up to us, guys. Let's pray. Lord, I, for one, am continually convicted in that regard. Lord, as your word tells us here, that this is, this is our responsibility because we as born-again believers here in this, in this place, right here, right now, Lord, we are your people, called by your name. Lord, I do pray that, again, it would even begin here with us, but Lord, that this would spread throughout your, your body, your church, the call, the, the desire to come back to you fully and completely. And as we began our evening tonight, Lord, it's about submission, complete and total submission to your lordship in our life. And Lord, we come to you humbly and we say, Lord, heal our land. We pray for revival across this country. And Lord, we pray that you would use us. But Lord, that starts with prayer. It starts with us coming before you humbly, broken, confessing any sin in our life, and praying. Because Lord, we know that you hear and you answer prayer. That you are almighty God. So have your way, Lord. And we thank you for our time tonight. We thank you for your word that is true when it is spoken even before we may realize it worked out in our lives, Lord, it is true and we can believe it and we can hold on to that because your past faithfulness, your eternal faithfulness demands our continual trust. And so, Lord, we trust you and we thank you. Have your way in us. Bless the rest of our week, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you guys.